Hello and welcome to Dinosaur Man News and Reviews. I'm Andy Hughes. I'm here with Alex Hudson. And the results have been rolling in from the election and we have a winner. Ooh. We uh, unfortunately have to uh, concede in this speech because okay. we have lost the title of Most Listenable Podcast to all other podcasts. Oh, no. Oh. We were oh, running that. on an independent ticket. and. That's uh, bad. We, we actually finished with minus votes. No one thought that was possible. <laughs> so people went anything but us. So you know how it's 270 to win in the Electoral College? Yeah, we got like minus 400. <laughs> in fact, all the Electoral College said no. What, well, what happened was we made the mistake of alerting people to our presence and they listened uh, to it and went, this is what they call a podcast now? Yeah, that's our biggest mistake. We let people mm. know that we actually do a podcast. We worked out the other day, we're five years into this podcast, right? Ooh, yeah. And there are some people who've probably listened since the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Not many, because probably a lot of them switched off in the early days before we got good microphones. Yeah. Uh, one piece of advice to our listeners is never go back, never Jack go back. Reacher style. <laughs> never go back to the beginning, because mm. while the content might be good, the sound quality is so bad it's not worth it. What if we pain. remaster it? And by that, what I mean is we remake those episodes, but I do all the other voices that aren't yours. <laughs> so we re-release them, and we do a Gus Van Sant-style shot-for-shot remake of Psycho. Mm-hmm. Except it's of which Pokemon would you love to have a, as a pet, or which uh, who wants the Queen's nose as an object, that kind of thing. I think it would work pretty well. Maybe you just have to just remake them all. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Just do the topics again. Yeah, like that's what everyone wanted. Yeah, and then and then say to them, "This is what you wanted, you freaks." <laughs> and then well, yeah. they go, mm, "Boo!" Down with this Rotten Tomatoes, twenty-two percent. And then I go, "Well." Someone wanted us to make this, otherwise you wouldn't have seen the last episode. <laughs> the early episodes are basically before we learn how to kind of edit audio. But you were saying we've been doing this for five years. I guess there was a point to that. Yeah. The point was, we've been here for ages. Okay. We've outlasted Trump. <laughs> we've been doing more Well, than- as long as we get to, what, January the 20th yeah. or whatever it is. We'll have outlasted Trump. I mean, we were here before him. We'll be here after him, and God willing, we'll be here after Biden. I wonder if anyone has listened all the way through. I mean, <laughs> I haven't. Start until now. <laughs> I've, I've, in the early days when I wasn't on the podcast, I listened to every episode. And then you realised, like a lot of our listeners, that you are insufferable. Well, what, no, what I, <laughs> what I mean is, I before I was on the podcast, I listened to every episode, and then That's so I... sweet. Thank you. Well, I moved, is the thing. (laughs) I moved and I realised that if I spoke to you every day, I didn't need to listen to you on a podcast (laughs) once a week either. Anyway. But thanks to all those that do listen. Yeah, thanks for everyone who voted in the election. Yeah. We finally did it. We outlasted Trump. And that's what this is. We could have outlasted two terms of Trump. The big thing for us was, will we outlast him? Like, we didn't care who wins. We just wanted to make sure that we were longer. Yeah, I'm just glad both the candidates had a nice time. (laughs) That's it. That's Everything it was me. done really above board, and everyone was really kind and nice. As to long each as other. look, as long as everyone had a good time and went home with a goodie bag that mm. had a Rugrats toy in it, and a, slice, a of slice of cake and a slice of cheese pizza, and, some and bubbles. a fruit shoot, <laughs> and some bubbles, and a candy necklace, then as that was all I was asking that, for. Then we are happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
If you didn't get that, then what's the point of having an election in the first place? Exactly. If you ain't getting a Rugrats toy. Exactly. We're, we're all in it for the toys. <laughs> uh, movies, news, reviews. We are. The That's what this week's going to be. Only podcast in the world. No. That talks news and reviews. Uh, you can actually strike that talks news and reviews off there. We're the only podcast in the world. Yeah, we got when we find out we're lost, we got rid of every other podcast. Uh-huh. Yeah. Search Apple movies and you won't see any other podcasts. Some people call That's right, we're on Apple movies now. Some people call us petty. Mm-hmm. Then they'll be right. <laughs> um but and we are gonna talk- Now we're not gonna be free falling down the iTunes charts. Is this you doing a Tom Petty joke? Yeah. Yeah, I thought I thought as soon as I said the word petty, yeah. he's gonna make a Tom Petty joke uh-huh. and then maybe one person who's listening who gets it, and that'll be you if you turn on the episode. Everyone likes Tom Petty. Says the man who likes Tom Petty. Not what, like oh, oh, sorry, is Tom Petty tastes. not cool enough anymore because he's not in Migos? <laughs> I'm sorry he's dead so he can't be in Migos. Like, what Would you... Tom Petty be more famous if he was a member of Migos? Absolutely. Even posthumously. Like, in a Migos video, I don't know if they do videos or if they just produce Absolutely. things. Like, it's... The Migos chaps, it's, and then there's a hologram of Tom Petty in every one of their videos. It's the equivalent of when Kanye West did that song with Paul McCartney, and everyone went, yeah. "Who's this old man?" They're giving um, mm. chan- Kanye's giving a chance to, and everyone's like, "That's Paul McCartney." Yeah, they're like, "Who's this street musician that this this <laughs> Kanye is given a chance?" If you to? went, "Oh, here's Offset and Tom Petty." Offset, that's is he one of Migos? I think he's one of Migos. Okay, cool. Um, if you went, "Here's Offset and Tom Petty," I'd be like, "Oh, wow, good to see." Offset giving a chance to this guy. And also, I don't know who Offset is. <laughs> Could see Tom Petty giving a chance to this Offset. Oh, okay. So Tom Petty is famous now. No. In uh, your world. More famous. He is. is he more famous than Offset? Do you, you could show me mm-hmm. 10 old men and I wouldn't be able to pick Tom Petty out of a lineup. I wouldn't put him in the 10 old men because he's a young hunk still in my head. <laughs> Forever 21. Great store. I think it's a story. Yeah. <laughs> okay, moving on. To be fair, if you put Offset in a line of 10 old men, I probably still couldn't pick him out. Uh, we got movies to review this week. Yes. I've got three. How many have you got? One? One new one, yeah. Yeah, one new one. Okay, so today we're going to be reviewing The Witches. Yes. Uh, Rebecca, His House, and Scare Me. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, okay. I haven't watched His House yet. No, not yet, but I think you will, and I I think you'll enjoy it. You watched it without me, guys. I told you that it was probably too spooky for you. Th- then, there is one sequence that I think you would not do well with. And then maybe. he told me, I'm not allowed to watch War with Grandpa without him. Yeah, I, but, the, but the thing is, War with Grandpa hasn't got a UK release yet. That's my big issue with it, because I want to watch it when it's eligible for our awards, because I do think it. it could be best. Do you not think so? <laughs> I saw the trailer. I think it could be the best film of the year. He puts on shaving foam, but it's hard. Yeah, it's like polyfill or something. Is that what it is? Oh, it's like a colking gun or yeah, something, yeah, right? Yeah. It's pretty funny. Pretty funny. Because um, think about it. What do grandpas hate more than anything else? Colking. <laughs> Before Macaulay. we get to the movie reviews, though, we must talk some movie news. Before uh-huh. we get to movie news, we must take a little little jaunt down... Gaming Avenue. Okay, I'm pressing the power button. Bring Nintendo. Shot? Okay, I wasn't sure what you were doing. Because as soon as you press power button, I assumed PlayStation. I oh, hang on. The... My controller is sticky. Hang on. Oh, what? 
I just need to give it a wipe down. Guys, he's been playing Leisure Suit Larry again. Error. Error. Oh, okay, right. Hang on. Let me turn off the Nintendo. Let me plug in the PlayStation. I do think that PlayStation noise is one of the most satisfying noises. uh, What about the Xbox noise? (laughs) Xbox. (laughs) And you're forgetting about the Dreamcast noise. Everyone forgets the Dreamcast noise. Dream, Dreamcast. I suppose. Dream. And you forget. And you're forgetting the Wii U noise. He goes, "Hi, Matt." <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure this is the Wii U noise. <laughs> is old man Wii U there to play? <laughs> and then imagine if you could hear cobwebs. <laughs> That's the sound of a Wii U. But yeah, also, hi, Matt. Because it is, they programmed it because it knew it only had one owner. That's the point. Yeah, uh, it's it's astounding that a bespoke made game console for one person gets the <laughs> amount of coverage that gets in popular media. Like I remember them doing adverts for it, despite the fact they only made one Wii U. <laughs> um, gaming news. They made games for it as well, which is <laughs> astonishing to me because I thought it was one of those ones that was like a you know, like the Game and Watch where it was a preloaded thing. Mm-hmm. I always presumed the Wii U would just have whatever Matt's favourite levels of games were from the last 20 years or whatever, like fucking Pong level 12 or whatever. I don't know, how how old is Matt? He's not that old. Is he younger than us? No, he's older than us. Okay, cool. Um, but I also don't think he was there for the creation of Pong. Okay, cool question. Right, tweet at us, Matt. Were you alive for Pong? Hashtag Pong yes or hashtag Pong no? Um... First time around as well, not the re-release. I'm talking 78? I don't know. When was Pong? Um, Yeah, so I don't know if it was just that and like Battletoads. Gaming news. Bleep, bloop, bleep. Square Enix have reported a loss of 6.5 billion yen uh, for HD games driven by Marvel Avengers. They They wouldn't say how many were sold... But the volumes were sixty percent of plan, which I guess is not great. Mm. Well, I saw something like uh, they lost like seventy million dollars or something like that. Uh, yeah, so it looks like the total cost of the game is between one seventy and one ninety million dollars. Given that the only expense is seventy, uh, and they sold, it looks like they sold three million copies. So the, the issue this isn't good. Th- not really, no. Because well, well losing that it, amount of money is never good. But well, also think about it: like this is a game based on the Avengers, like one of the biggest movies of what the biggest movie of all time. Probably Ray like, finds for minus work. <laughs> like it's based on Marvel's Avengers, then yes. Um, you know, it's based on such a huge property that it should be an absolute shoo-in of being able to get copies sold. Yeah, but the problem is they messed about with it so much, and they made it this kind of live service game. Where you know it's it's an ongoing, always advancing, always kind of developing game, and it's got this kind of plan. It's the same thing that happened to Anthem when that came out. That mm. they basically put themselves in a position of going, "Oh, people don't want that type of game." And in fact, the Spider-Man game that was on PS4 mm. showed what people really want with these games is something probably a bit more story-driven. Yeah, give us a, st- a very well put together story-driven game. I agree. That you can then play as the Avengers, and I think you would have sold a lot more mm-hmm. if you'd focused on 
single-player story-driven games. Like, Star Wars Fallen Order, that game has problems, yes. But still, I had fun with it, and a lot of people bought it. Mm. Like, people have an appetite for these solo story-driven games that, you know, not everything has to be online. Not everything has to have this thing where Mm. you want to squeeze every single penny out of your audience. And that's what it is, like... And I think people might be wisering up to the fact that they go, these companies are greedy and just want all of our money instead of us going, you know, I've paid £50 for this game. Now Mm. you want me to pay an extra £60 every year as it goes ahead. But do you also think that that maybe cannot be true given that people will spend as much money as they do on Call of Duty and FIFA? Yes, and that's the thing. Because those, so, those, well, those are the two big culprits, aren't they? Of like The FIFA a, Ultimate teams I cost think, loads of money if you want to buy more stuff. Mm-hmm. And Call of Duty relies on season passes and ex- DLC. 100%. Is it DLC? Or is it like limited time um, engagement? Like season passes now. Well, we talked, of course, about the fact that Leatherface was in it recently. And I think he got it for free. He got a copy for free. Well, the interesting thing is, I think there's a, a kind of difference in market. Mm. So there are some people who will buy one game a year, every year, and that game is a Call of Duty game. Yeah. They buy one game every year, and their game's console is a FIFA machine. Mm-hmm. And then they put their money into that. Well, there are other people who the games market want to corner who are your people who will regularly buy new games Mm -hmm. and they want those people to play your game and that game alone for Mm. the rest of time and that's why you have these expansive open worlds that are like they've got so much to discover and you've got these games that are constantly always online or always evolving yeah and i think and you know there are people out there who want that sort of game for me personally Mm -hmm. i kind of just want a story driven game yeah like i want I want games that aren't so like there's so many games I haven't played yet because I'm like if I get stuck into that that's a whole thing like that's a big game and I might love it mm. but do I have the 70 80 hours that I need to put into it and the answer is of course no no I probably haven't and like you know when I was younger I probably did <laughs> um and the, this is the problem isn't it as I get older I mean you possibly can... still got it now it's just you know I've got other stuff you got other there. games and another thing, like, as I get older, like I can afford these games, but I just don't have the time for it. Um, mm. So, yeah, and I think Marvel's Avengers absolutely fell into that trap of being like, we want more money. Yeah. And to do that, we're going to completely kind of bastardize this game, really, mm. um, into something that nobody really wanted. And while apparently the single-player campaign is fairly fun, um, it does get repetitive, and then the entire online component is absolutely trash by the signs of things yeah um i always said i'd get it only when it's on a sale and it goes to like 10 pound yeah that's the time that i'll get it because i don't really have any interest in it mm-hmm. okay um that's it for gaming news um anything else sorry should we move some movie news in okay what you got for us, news hound? Uh, do you want to do news or do you want to do trailer trailer roundup? Um, should we save trailers to the end? Okay, fine. Doctor Strange director Scott Derrickson, yep, is going to be uh, directing Black Phone for Blumhouse and Universal. Uh, this is the adapted screenplay um, by Derrickson and Robert Cargill of the Joe Hill horror novella of the same name. 
The book revolves, and this is, I'm taking this word for word here from Variety.com. The book revolves around a dead cinephile, a lonely kid, an eight foot tall locust, and a man locked in a basement stained with the blood of murdered children. Well, should have probably read that one before I said it. (laughs) There's also an old disconnected phone that rings at night with calls from the dead. Okay. Okay. Uh, so that's going to be happening. Good, he's got Derrickson going back to horror now. Yeah. Um, so that'll be out. Who knows when? Well, twenty twenty blank as well soon. Scott Derrickson. Yeah, he's signed on to do something else, and I can't remember what it is. Let's find out. Um, Let's vamp for time. But it hasn't started. I don't think it started production. I think it's only announced like two weeks ago or something. You might be right. Uh, Scott Derrickson, let's find out what he's up to. I feel that might be horror as well. Directing something, yeah? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. What you got? Let's find out. What do you got for Uh, a Bermuda Triangle movie? That's the one. Mm -hmm. That's the one I heard about. Well, there's two. Okay, so in his upcoming, there is Bermuda and there's also Bermuda Triangle pre-production, which (laughs) implies that Bermuda is finished and ready to go. But Bermuda Triangle. One, still is, in one is about the triangle, the other is about shorts. Um, Scott Derrickson and Chris Evans is rumoured to be starring in Bermuda Triangle. Original title was Bermuda, but they've still listed it as two separate ah, projects. I see. Interesting. Another okay. bit of news. Another bit of friend. news. Okay. Uh, so, Ethan Hawke and Maya Hawke are going to be in a comedy called Revolver about the Beatles. Mm hmm. About a young woman trying to get very close to the Beatles. We all know what that means. Yep. After a plane carrying the Fab Four unexpectedly lands in her hometown of Anchorage, Alaska. Cool. Wally and Finding Nemo slash Finding Dory director Andrew Stanton is set to helm the film from a script by Stranger Things writer Kate Treffrey. Could be fun. Maybe. It could be. Maybe. So she will play Jane, a teen resident of Anchorage, Alaska, in 1966 when the impossible happened. A flight to Japan carrying the Beatles is forced to make an unexpected stop. All hell breaks loose as the unsuspecting residents are consumed by Beatlemania. Oh, my God. Uh, Jane devises a plan to lose her virginity to George Harrison, the best one, (laughs) uh, discovering that adventure and romance are actually a little closer to home than she thought. Fun the boy fact. next door was the one she was waiting for the whole time. His name is also George Harrison. Fun fact, guys. Alex also plans to lose his virginity to George Harrison. Yeah, I'm waiting till I die. <laughs> Heaven virginity. God welcomes you through the pearly gates like, Alex, welcome. It'll be exciting. Here's George. <laughs> also, here's an orb. That's inside baseball, isn't it? Is it? No, because it's not inside baseball. The last episode, though, yeah, right? it's just a running gag now. Um, so yeah, that'll be that. And then George Harrison takes you into a room. Okay, well, we don't I, need to go you, into the specifics how do you want of it. it to go, like, well, I've already described myself as a power bottom <laughs> on this podcast. Uh, ben Wheatley has completed production on a horror film called In the Earth that was shot entirely during the pandemic, and Neon have announced that they will release the film theatrically in the US in 2021. UK and other international rights are still yet to be uh, sold. Uh, In the Earth stars Joel Fry, Laura Torture, Hayley Squires, and Rhys Shearsmith, and is a pandemic-themed horror story that Wheatley wrote and directed, um, and is going up for sale at the American film market this week. Because everyone needs pandemic-themed horrors right now. Mm. Well, apparently so. So, as the world searches for a cure to a disastrous virus, 
disastrous. Did I say that right? What did I say? Yeah, I think I did say that. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, in my head, I said detective. (laughs) A scientist and a park scout venture deep into the forest for a routine equipment run through the night. Their journey becomes a terrifying voyage through the heart of darkness as the forest comes to life around them. Now, that is quite the pandemic. Mm Mm-hmm. It is indeed. Uh, So, that will be 2021. I get that um, this pandemic... And this situation, like the whole situation, would inspire movies mm-hmm. the same way that you know any kind of thing like this does. But at the moment, I'm like, okay, there's ones that are coming, and they're coming within the next like year. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, do people really need that? I mean, <laughs> right now, there's a whole list of stuff that's already been out that uh, is themed to COVID nineteen specifically, which we'll talk about shortly, anyhow. Um, and perhaps it's just a case of you direct what is easiest to direct in a situation Maybe, where yeah. everyone's wearing masks anyway, so... Well, big films are still managed to complete. Like, Jurassic Park Dominion have, fin- have wrapped filming today or yesterday. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these big films are still filming. It's just you have to be extra, take extra precautions with your staff, I guess. Mm. But when someone's working from a more independent mindset, yeah. you have to make... Like Ben Wheatley, I mm-hmm. suppose. You have you to know, make a lot. Kind of yeah, he hasn't got Universal dumping $300 million into a movie for him. What if he was? What if this was made with Universal's $300 million? Well, then, you know, good for him, I guess. <laughs> I would say that if it was made with Universal's $300 million, they probably wouldn't have to be searching for an international partner to sell the international rights to. <laughs> but you never know. Um... Netflix has chosen France to test its first channel offering. So it's going to be a linear channel Mm -hmm. named Direct, apparently. Mm. So it's going to only be available to subscribers of Netflix. And it will air French, international, and US feature films and TV series that are available on the streaming service. Mm -hmm. However, this channel will only be accessible via the service's web browser. So unlike its streaming device, which is found on set-top boxes... Uh, this is only going to be available online okay. through the web browser, through Netflix. So it's basically like so it a is a, TV channel. Yeah, a scheduled TV channel of Interesting. five till six, this is this TV show is on, and then seven till nine or whatever. The positive this... to that is the amount of times I go on Netflix and I spend 20 minutes searching for something and in the end don't watch anything, mm. I could just put the channel on. Yeah, um, so the initiative marks Netflix's first foray into real-time scheduled programming. Service previously tested the option Shuffle Play, which wasn't in real-time, but featured recommended programming to a sample of international users. Uh, The difference this time is that the test is being localised in one country rather than a sample of users instead. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this is going to be rolled out. There's no time frame for it yet. Did they ever go ahead with that two times viewing thing that they were talking about? Oh, um, yeah, I don't think so. This is like such a weird. It's a never weird been option. put onto our one, at least as far. No, as I, know. I remember them talking about trying it, and then they don't ever remember hearing anything afterwards. Um, but like, have you ever listened to a podcast at two times speed? No, I can't do it. I tried it once because I was like, oh, maybe I could get from my podcast. What's the fastest you reckon you could do? One point two five. I don't know if I could even do that. I what think... if it's a slow podcast? What if it's this? I'd put this on like a hundred times speed if I were them. <laughs> you get all the useful information from the title anyway. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't think I could do it. Like, you know what we're going to talk about if you've read the title of the podcast. But some people haven't. The title of this podcast is Alex Bones, John's George Harrison. Okay. Okay. Well, 
There was no need to bring that up again, but you did. There's always need. Okay, so Paramount's 2020 survival strategy is earn more selling off films than actually releasing them. Okay. Uh, so the studio has earned $450 million so far this year from quarter one releases and then selling titles to streamers. Mm-hmm. So Paramount were looking at this as being a good year for them, uh, but unfortunately due to everything going on, they weren't able to capitalize on this. So what they've done is they've offloaded films to streamers as well as still having a couple of successful things right at the beginning of the year. So, for example, Sonic, mm-hmm. uh, that, that I think, outperformed expectations yeah. at the beginning of the year. And it's still in the top ten because, you know, it's going <laughs> to be. Um, but they had a couple of other things in the bag that they were really banking on. So the SpongeBob Sponder on the Run movie was due to be out in, I think, summer. Yeah. And then obviously never came out. The Trial of Chicago 7 was theirs. Uh, an untitled Ryan Reynolds and Sean Levy adventure film that is yet to shoot. And The Lovebirds, which you saw. Mm-hmm. Um, so The Lovebirds sold for around $30 million. Chicago 7 sold for $56 million. Unknown how much they've sold SpongeBob for. And they're closing a deal for $125 million for Coming to America. Okay. The one that's going to Amazon. Yes. Uh, as well as a separate sale of the Jack Ryan spin-off Without Remorse starring Michael B. Jordan. So their model at the moment is seemingly sell all of these things we've filmed until we can re until everything reopens and then maybe we keep hold of the stuff. So for example, they've kept hold of Top Gun Maverick because mm-hmm. they feel like, well, a Top Gun movie with Tom Cruise in it is probably gonna make, make us money. more money by releasing it when it's safe to do so yeah. than it would if we negotiated a sale with Netflix or Amazon or so. Uh, and the same goes for A Quiet Place 2. You know, that first one made $500 million on a $20 million a budget. hasn't been out. And like, it I've doesn't been... make sense for them to sell that on either because if the first one made that many times its budget... Honestly, when you said it then, I just assumed it had already been out mm. and... I had forgot that it was even still coming. So, yeah. It's, um, yeah, kind of interesting. There you go, guys. We always bring you the kind of interesting information here. Mm. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Fantastic Beast has been pushed back to 2022 mm-hmm. with the court ruling this week seeing Johnny Depp standing down from the franchise. I mean, we've also said in the past, probably stand down the entire franchise. Yeah. Because this would be the third of five? Standing down or he's been stood down. Well, yes. He's been asked to resign and he's done so. So. Um, Should have kept it as Colin Farrell anyway. Mm. I don't understand why they changed it from that. But it'd be interesting to see how you kind of change this up. Like, I guess, magic. Yeah, you can you can explain anything with magic. Yeah, that's the it's beauty the, of magic. Yeah, answer to it all, just magic. Yeah, um, but yeah, I don't really want to go into kind of the details of no. that case and stuff. Like, it's still ongoing, really. Mm. Um, right, trailers. Uh, there's also the Assassin's Creed series coming to Netflix. Okay, we didn't talk about that. I put no. it in there. Is it in there? Yeah, it's very top. I think you just ignore everything I ever send. Um, so Netflix announced that they're doing a um, live-action oh, Assassin's Creed series. I thought we... No. 
Oh, that case, then the Patrick Wilson thing's also a Yeah, thing. you haven't talked about that yet either. Well, I thought that was before the last uh, one that we'd recorded. Okay, so Netflix are developing an Assassin's Creed live-action series. Yes. Um, it could be good. Like, the, so the film was absolute hot mess. I hated it. Um, but, like, a series could work. And I think you could definitely play it as, like, each series is a different assassin in a different era. Um, the same way that the games progress through different kind of locations and stuff like that. And it gives you this kind of, like, anthology series where you've got, like, maybe the current day kind of animus stuff. Mm-hmm. And then in the past, it keeps changing where you are. Um, could allow for some really interesting stuff. But it's quite interesting that, like, a lot of the streaming services now are taking video games and going, we're going to make these into a series mm. instead. And I think, you know, the successes of The Witcher helped with that. But, you know, we've now got, what, Last of Us is coming as a series, Fallout is coming out as a series. Um, I think there's another one as well. But this, you know, it just keeps adding to that list of differing things that they're going, okay, we can maybe expand these, this kind of lore and stuff using mm. the medium of television. Uh, so, yeah, I hope it's good because I think I like the idea of Assassin's Creed um, and I would like to see it realised. Mm. So it'll be very interesting to see whether they actually can. Okay. Uh, I will not watch it, but I will get all the information from you. <laughs> uh, and Patrick Wilson is going to be directing the fifth instalment in the Insidious franchise. Because mm-hmm. uh, we all saw the last key and thought this needed to be continued. <laughs> uh, so the fifth call, nope, not at all. Not having that <laughs> one bit. Uh, will be distributed worldwide by Sony Pictures. Um, through four movies, the Insidious series has racked up $542 million at the box office, which is obviously why it's getting a fifth. Um, makes money, doesn't it? So the film will pick up with the Lamberts 10 years on from the last installment as Dalton begins college. Now, I don't think that's correct in terms of the timeline, but I'm fine, whatever. Because <laughs> I'm sure the Daltons are the family in the first one, mm. and then in the second one, but then... In the third one, the no. thing is, so it's a very confusing franchise because Lin Shay died in the first one and then has <laughs> been in four more films. And when it says it made it's made five hundred million, yeah, yes. how much of that was the first one? Uh, I'm going to say most of it. Let's see, Insidious one. I'm going to say most of it because I think Last Key probably made twelve million, one million for each of the keys on his hands. Let's have a look. Box office, 99 million for the first one. Okay. So maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. I, But it was made for 1.5 million. Uh, Very good business. Um, the, last, the last key was made for 100 million. Well, let's find out. The last key was made for 10 million. It grossed 167 million. How? How did the film Because it was that an established bad? franchise by that point. People go and see those movies. How chapter two, that did that, put, did that outperform that the first chapter? It did. Five million, one hundred and sixty-one million. Wow. Uh, chapter three, eleven million, one hundred and thirteen million. Wow! I'm telling you now, Blumhouse have got a very specific model, and that model is: we pump out Insidiouses until the world ends. <laughs> And every time people and Rose Byrne and Patrick Wilson and Lynn Shea will collect a check every time we do so. And every time they get bored, we'll throw out a conjuring. Mm-hmm. Um, did you want to talk trailers? Yeah, uh, just the two this week. I think. Well, this last couple of weeks, 
so Stardust is <laughs> uh, so this is directed by Gabriel Range and starring Johnny Flynn and Mark Maron. Uh, Stardust will chronicle the young David Bowie's first visit to the USA in 1971, a trip that would then inspire the invention of his iconic ultra-ego, Ziggy Stardust. The fucking movie looks dumb as hell. (laughs) Well, the important things to know about this movie is it doesn't have the backing of the family of David Bowie, Mm. and it can't use any of its music. Yeah. But, you know, it's got Johnny Flynn in it, so... Does have Johnny Flynn could, in it? Who could we be all a thing from the Cineworld adverts. Uh, it's also got Julian Richings in it, who plays Death in Supernatural. So you okay, should be on yes. board with this already. No, because the film looks dumb. Like you looks, should be on board. You should support everything Julian Richings does. No, the I film feel. looks like it's desperately trying to capture the essence of those other more successful. I'm getting more successful. Well, you mean potential box office record-breaking stardust? Um, you know, like, shot for shot. You're going to be humiliated when it sh- grosses $3 billion. The shot for shot moments in this trailer that are the same as Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. And every music biopic yeah. ever made, going back to the 60s and the 50s. Mm-hmm. Like, these things have been happening for decades and decades now. It seems like the only reason we've got a problem with this one is because it looks really shit, whereas Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> just looked pretty shit. And the thing is... But then like, Bohemian Rhapsody did turn out to be really shit. But the thing is that Rocketman did it in a different way. Yeah, like but... It showed that you could do... But Rocket, yeah, Rocketman took a completely different approach to a biopic, whereas this mm-hmm. looks like it's following the same cookie-cutter formula that... And the the thing that Rocketman had was that it had a sense of adventure and a sense of this is a musical rather than a biopic. Yeah. Whereas all the others are just biopics. And you're just like, I could do without this because you're not adding anything and new. how do you do a biopic about a man whose music is so influential about any of his music? Mm. That's the thing that gets me. I'm just like, how are you going to do this? I don't want it. <laughs> uh, Songbird. So this is uh, the Michael Bay produced yes. uh, movie, comedy, drama, and romance. Okay. Uh, in 2022, a pandemic ravages the world and its cities, centering on a handful of people as they navigate the obstacles currently hindering society, disease, martial law, quarantine, and vigilantes. So we've got COVID-22, I think. Yeah. It says six million people have died or something like that. Directed by Adam Mason, uh, who also directed uh, music videos for Alice in Chains. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's it. You're going to have to provide some other (laughs) information here. Um, And starring, what's his name? The the handsome chap, KJ Apper uh, from Riverdale. Also And the Hate You Give. Um what's his face in there? Um mm. it's a bomb? Paul Waltizer. Is he? Yep. Didn't even realize. And the Dario. Yes, and Craig Robinson and Bradley Whitford and Demi Moore. Oh my goodness. And Peter Stormare. What a what a cast this has got. Uh, so, here's a little bit of trivia for you. Mm-hmm. SAG-AFTRA issued a do-not-work order on Songbird, telling its members to refuse any work on the film. Really? So, I don't know what that <laughs> what, tells you why? about the project, but 
Who Does needs it? Any information beyond that? Uh, the only other information I've got is, it's one of the first film productions about COVID-19 and the 2020 global health pandemic. The first full feature-length film was Mustafa Kishvari's Corona 2022, uh, 2020, not 2022, which premiered at the Rhode Island Film Festival on the 8th of August 2020. And then it lists a bunch of other movies yeah. and TV shows that have already come out about Corona. So, like, when we talk about the fact that, like, people don't need to be reminded about the housecape they're currently in, mm. this film epitomizes it of being, like, almost tone deaf to what the public need right now. Mm. Um, did you see this trailer? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to see this film, am I? No. But, like, it just seems... It's not like, for me. Like, it's almost one of those films that's just, like, it legitimizes the wrong ideas people have about a global pandemic. Mm. Like, is there like, oh, yeah, you know, this this pandemic's going to last to 2022. Millions will die and you'll be locked down in your homes and you... You won't be able to. You won't be able to leave, and that's. This is the way the gov- big government are going to treat you. There's going to be rioting in the streets. Um, you know, it, it seems like it leads into that kind of mm. fallacy of. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That kind of fallacy of obstructiveness in modern government, mm. um, and the way the pandemic has brought some of the worst ideas out of the woodwork. Mm. And I just think it, as a film, Mm. it is A, a terrible idea, and B, looks like a terrible film. So, plot keywords, there are three. 2021 is Mm -hmm. one of them, presumably because it's being released then. Reference to the coronavirus is number two. And the third one, woke. (laughs) Always, always troubling when that word, I think, comes up in a... Plot tag word. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not going to see this movie. So, no. no, I plan not to. I plan not to. Who knows? I might do. Uh, but, you know, I've missed. I know you well enough this. to know that you will see this film. <laughs> I don't know why, but I just feel like there's something in my bones that tells me that you will see it. So. Anyway, we should probably move on. This has been a long podcast already. Uh, I should stop reminding them how long it's been. Yeah, you say that every week. Yeah, it's been a long podcast every week. <laughs> like, it gets like 10 minutes, and you're like, well, this has been, this has been long, guys. <laughs> I never say it 10 minutes in, because that's during the bit before the video game news. <laughs> I don't know. There was once when you got 10 minutes in and you yawned, so... Yeah, I was tired. <laughs> I still had to do a podcast. But this is high energy. I love it. Is it? Yeah, this is like... Yeah. Uh, Feels like I'm on the stage somewhere. You're vibing. Yeah. Well, I'm not okay with that. Uh, reviews. Yes. Okay, so that's news over with. Uh, do we want to do I Don't Want Your Future? I guess so. Okay, because we've got two really good films to talk about just now. Adam's Family and Adam's Family Values we watched on yes. Netflix. Still hold up. So great. Like, Raul Julia is incredible in those films. Like... They give him, you know, some of the best lines, but his delivery is absolutely perfect. And then Christina Ricci as Wednesday Adams, like, I said to you, like, was it 10 minutes into the first one yeah. we were watching? I was like, absolutely stand out in this film. Yeah. Because she plays it so perfectly. They're really fun films. Yeah. Really fun. And I think, I think all the way through, they're just a whole mm. lot of fun. Incredible that they're only PG, though. Some of the back in those days, you were there's, like, there's jokes from mum and dad in there, which I think are great. Um, 
I really like it. I, I think, you know... Well, we put it on, and we put the first one on, and you said, are you sure we want to watch this? Because what if they don't hold up to your memory? I, I would be very incredibly worried about these things. And I think there is that danger, but actually I'm so glad that they are just as good as I remember. Yeah, very good. Uh, so if you've, uh, if you've got Netflix, you're in the UK, they're streaming right now, both of the mm-hmm. first two. Uh, Reunion isn't on there, but... I think you can swerve the reunion. new animated ones on there as well. Yes, we the that. last year's one, yeah, as well. That is on there. Um, anyway, you've got something. Talking of Netflix, I finally watched Uncut Gems. I, I said that your stress levels would allow you to... Because you told me I'm allowed to now. Um, so, I yeah. don't like being your mum, but it's, someone's got to be. It's now November. And 11 months after it being released, <laughs> I finally watched it. Um, so Uncut Gems is the story of Adam Sandler, mm-hmm. his character. Howard Ratner. Um, basically doing everything he can to stress me out. Mm-hmm. Like making all the wrong decisions. Like a whole lot. That I found at times the film is noisy. Yeah. Like it's just like a mess of noise. Um and it's kind of hard to follow what people are saying and doing. Right. Um, and I think it's almost intentional. Mm-hmm. I think but so. They, by doing that, it leads to this kind of almost confusion and it almost kind of just slaps you around. It's almost like somebody slapping you around the face and being like, are you watching? Are you still paying attention? Um, and it's almost like the film is threatening to fight you. Mm. <laughs> like, I feel like the film wanted me to hate it at times. Yeah. Um. I didn't like anybody in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, not that's not me saying I don't like the performances. That's me like, I don't like any of the characters. Yeah. Um, and I think, once again, I feel that's intentional. Yes. The last 20 minutes is horrible to watch. Like, it's great. It's stressful. It's like the end of Whiplash in, mm-hmm. in, in kind of how tense you get watching it. Yeah. Um, but I was there just like, oh, no, I can't. I don't know how much more of this I can take. Mm. Um, and then the end is like almost like a cathartic release of just yes. being like, okay, we've ended. I I get why people absolutely love this film. Mm-hmm. It doesn't... For me, it's not one of the best films I've seen this year. Right. Um, I think it's, it's very well made. I think it does what it's trying to do very well. I think the performances in it are very good. So it's definitely, you know, in the higher end of kind of the films I've seen this year. But I, it doesn't break my top five, say. Right. Um, and I just think, I think it's because I get why it's, what it's doing and why it's doing it, but it never quite landed that punch. Okay. Interesting. Um, for me. I and I really like it, but I just don't love it. Mm. If you get what I mean, but I think yeah, absolutely. If you've not seen it, watch it um, because it is really good. Mm. Uh, do you have anything else for? I don't want your future. No, I've watched Mandalorian though. First episode. Um, oh, I've even watched Mad Max uh, Fury Road. Still amazing. Mm. Like, still one of the most beautiful films to come out in the last five years. Um, like shot why like shot for shot, every scene mm. of that is like a painting. But I watched the first two episodes of Mandalorian. Oh, you've watched the second one as well now. Yes, okay, right. I watched it last night. Um, I think the first one is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's proper good Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Like there are moments in it, like 
I was speaking to um, Barrett and Jason about this, mm. and I was like, for me, I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan. Yeah. Um, it's never been a franchise that's really grabbed me, but there's a moment in Mandalorian Episode 1 where I went, ha-ha, almost like a triumphant, brilliant. Mm. Like, I, and I, it was just involuntary, and I was like, okay, that got me, it's hooked me. Right. And there's a moment that made me go, that's really great kind of almost cinematic, um, a cinematic showing on a TV scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second episode is, has almost like a horror element to it. Right. Like, especially for me, like there's a, a thing in it that is quite horrifying and quite horrible to watch. Mm. Um, it's not scary, but it can feel that way. Um, and I thought that's a really interesting way to take the episode because I think it's maybe not as good an episode mm. as the first one, but it had these moments that are it, they, what they're doing with this franchise is they make each episode a little bit different. Um, okay. And yeah, I'm really, really enjoying it, and I'm glad that we can watch it alongside like the American audience this time. So last time, like Disney Plus wasn't here, mm-hmm. so we had to kind of watch it after everything had already been out. This time we can watch it in line with the rest of the world, mm. um, and yeah, if you like Star Wars, like I think you should be watching this because it's probably the best Star Wars thing <laughs> that's come out since Disney have bought Star Wars. So you're saying I should watch it again? Well, I don't know. I because I the, did not is, like I, first series. Well, this is the thing. I always thought you would really like the first series, mm. um, but you didn't. No. So not enough. Not enough of a Western element. Not enough of a monster of the week element to it. And I get that the first episode is quite space western. Of this um, of this series? Yeah. You're making promises you um, probably better be able to cash. No, no, it is. Mm. Um, the second episode, less of that. Okay. Maybe, like... But more horror. So that should be in my horror, wheelhouse. Yes. Mm, Maybe you should I watch it. Uh, Can I ask one question? Yes. Baby Yoda's still funny? Still cute as fuck, Still mate. funny. Still cute as fuck. Is he funny, though? Absolutely. I don't want to know if he's cute. I don't want to fuck Baby Yoda. I want to know if he's funny. <laughs> is yeah. he hilarious? Always. Does he press a button that you shouldn't press? Oh, always. Like, he always. He's he's always. The episode is wall to wall button pressing. He's always doing something. That's really pressing my buttons. There's there's a bit in the second episode mm-hmm. where Mando has to keep telling him off. Okay, <laughs> and it's that's great. good. All right, maybe I'll watch it. Uh, okay, so let's move on to reviews. Then I'll start with a quick one first of all, and then we'll move on. Uh, so, Scare Me, which is a Shudder original. Shudder exclusive? Shudder original, why mm-hmm. not? Let's call it that. So, written, directed, starring, produced by Josh Rubin, um, and also starring Aya Cash, who is apparently from uh, Homelander, what's it called? Bo- the Boys? Maybe. Aya Cash. Oh, oh I know which Dark one hair. this is, yes. Short, yes short. She plays Stormfront. Okay. Um Yeah. If it's the film I think it is, yeah. then yes. Yes, it's she's her. Stormfront. Okay. Yes, it says Stormfront from boy- The Boys. Okay. Uh, which I haven't seen, so... I'm a, I'm a big fan sense. how you called it Homelander. <laughs> I know he's the guy. He's the main guy. I know... Uh, fine, I know Carl Urban's the main guy, but I don't remember his name, so I know Homelander. <laughs> Evil Superman. Yes? Tell me about Scare Am Me. Am I right when I say The Boys is basically evil Superman? Kind of, yes. Not kind of, yes. I've seen him do bad things. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, two, 
<laughs> Two strangers tell scary stories during a power outage and try to scare each other. Uh, it's uh, it's an interesting film. Mm-hmm. All shot basically in this one location and tries to. I think I think it it tries to do maybe a little bit too much for its own good. I think there is a limit to how far this could go, and it pushes that limit, and it doesn't quite work as a mm-hmm. film. But there is some good stuff in there where, when they're recounting these stories, they don't actually show anything other than what's happening, aside from a few additional bits that are put in. But it's not like it cuts away to a scene of uh, this story. It's still within the cabin that they're telling the stories in um so you know the sound design comes into it and there's some good creaking and crunching and things like that you know some of the sound effects are very fun uh but it just i don't think it i don't think it really delivers on what it's trying to do i think possibly the problem is it just doesn't work as a long format thing Mm -hmm. i think an hour and 40 ish minutes is too long for this to sustain itself so perhaps if it had been on the shorter side of a feature length, if you were looking at an hour and 20 minutes, it might have had a better chance of doing it because the payoff at the end doesn't really work for me. Yeah. So it all sort of builds to a head and then a thing happens at the end where you just go, I don't believe in this because I don't know if this is not a thing where you've gone, oh, these are really well-developed characters. Mm-hmm. I never got that feeling from it. Does the power Because the focus is on the storytelling rather than on the people who are telling the stories yeah if that makes sense um but you know made for next to nothing as far as i can tell and again it's a shudder thing that i think if if you are a fan of that kind of thing i think there might be something in it for you you know i I don't know that it's i don't know it's terrible or anything i think it's perfectly fine but it's not something that i would then watch again mm-hmm. but maybe you know it was released in the build-up to halloween and i wonder if that sort of the time to release it and then potentially get people to watch it next year if they haven't already they might start pushing it again around this time next year because you know it's something that's a little bit different to the usual yeah. fare um i mean I, I, yeah, I think I've probably just got to say it's a that'll do pig. I don't know if I'd say it's a would not recommend, but I, I just don't think it really hit for me. And I think I can isolate the reasons why, but it does go to show that Shudder do still movies. release quite a lot of different stuff, which is good because yeah. it's not just all one. You know, if they were only releasing sort of art house horror movies, you'd go. Well, this is great for me, but who, <laughs> you know, say, as, you a, love that. as a general audience member, would there be this feeling of, oh, it's a bit samey? You're waiting for Shudder Art House to be produced. But if you, so if you compare you this, if you compare this to the Mortuary Collection, the Mortuary Collection benefited from the fact that it cuts away to these stories being told. Mm. And I think this is the super low budget version of a very low budget movie already. Okay. And I think that's the interesting thing is that this is like the scaled down version of that. And that was already fairly scaled down. And this podcast is a scaled down version of that because you've described the film mm-hmm. without any visual aids. Yeah. Yeah. We are we are bottom. I'm kind of doing ladder. the best work I possibly could right now. <laughs> um, right. I'll do Rebecca as well. Yes. And then we'll jump over to the witches. 
so Rebecca, this is the Ben Wheatley film. This is his adaptation. Well, not his adaptation. It's actually Jane Goldman's adaptation of uh, the Daphne du Maurier novel, which had previously been adapted at least, I think at least twice now. Certainly most famously by Alfred Hitchcock in the 40s. Uh, anyway, so our cast, Army Hammer, Lily James, Kristen Scott Thomas. Mm-hmm. Good cast, good cast. Uh, so Lily James plays this young woman who marries a wealthy widower with a sort of dark and murky history um, and goes back to live in this um, stately home on the coast and finds that the spectre of his ex-wife, well, ex by virtue of being dead, um, (laughs) looms large over the house still. Mm -hmm. Um, It's an interesting film because I think it, it approaches the story with a degree of, it's got this richness to the way it's shot and the way it's scored that puts you in mind of sort of prestige period dramas on BBC or ITV. Mm-hmm. If you get what I mean, you know, those kind of, the, those things that have a huge budget chucked at them. Yeah. And look very pretty and sound very nice and have got very good actors doing sort of plummy accents and everything's fine. But it lacks maybe something of the darkness that you might want from the story. And I think that's the issue here is that I think for the most part, it's perfectly functional. It works as a film and the story works still, but you're just missing some of the darker elements from it and perhaps would have been better served by not necessarily running away from that stuff, but embracing it slightly. I think Kristen Scott Thomas's performance is really good still as Mrs. Danvers. Um, and I think, you know, you've got a couple of really watchable leads here as well. Um, it's just, it, it sort of borders on being slightly sort of soap opera-y at times as well. Mm-hmm. And it maybe didn't need to. But then again, is the best way to set yourself out if you're doing a adaptation an adaptation of a already famously adapted story to then try and set yourself out by being something different to the Hitchcock version. Maybe yeah. that's what you're trying to do here. In which case, you know, I think it, it's achieved that. I just think for me, it was maybe missing something that just put it over the edge in terms of a bit of oomph. But I think, it, you know, it's a that'll do pick. I think it's perfectly it? fine. It's really handsomely made. It looks really nice and the score is great. Um, and I think it could win a, you know, it could win an Oscar easily for costume mm-hmm. design just by virtue of them being, you know, Army Hammer suits are very nice. <laughs> um, and, the you know, there's an incredible amount of work that's gone into the production design side of it. It just feels like maybe, maybe something a little bit darker would have been appreciated. But, hey, maybe then you invite even more comparisons yeah. to Alfred Hitchcock and you think, well, there's no point in doing that because... It sounds like it was just lacking a bit of teeth, really, then. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't quite have the bite that you might want it to, and that's a bit of a shame, but I still enjoyed it enough over the two mm. hours, so... I... Big question for you. Mm. Who had the better suits, Army Hammer or Gomez Adams? I mean, Army Hammer has a bigger variety of suits in this film. 
Gomez it, Adams had three or four during the course. Is there ever a point where he looks like a matador? No, not to my knowledge. Then Gomez Adams. But he's wins. got a really nice like mustard suit at the beginning. I really like that. <laughs> I I would like Gomez Adams may be the most stylish man in cinema. Yeah, probably. Probably. And I think that has to be appreciated. Uh so should we talk about Strange that Pugsley never inherited that style. Pugsley went, I'm just went gonna for wear a white stripes. <laughs> oh yeah, well, I suppose he went for French mime. Um <laughs> So, should we talk about Robert Zemeckis's The Witches? Yes. So, this is the new adaptation of The Witches, um, the Roald Dahl story. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, about a young boy who goes to a hotel with his grandma and comes across a coven of witches who mm-hmm. are also inhabiting that hotel. Yes. At the same time, who proceed to turn him into a mouse. Mm. Basically, the story. Um, the classic tale. Yeah. The timeless tale that's been told a thousand times. Boy re- turns into mouse. <laughs> it's a remake of the... Um, when was it? 1990, the Nick Rogue version. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Starring... Angelica Shad- Houston. Butisha mm-hmm. Adams herself. Mm. Um, yeah, so this remake has Anne Hathaway as the Grand High Witch. Yes. Octavia Spencer as the Grandma. Stanley Tucci's in it as the hotel owner. Chris Rock is your narrator. Um, those are kind of like your big hitters. Um, so I remember seeing the first version and it terrified me. Like, I think it's a very scary film mm-hmm. as a child. This, I feel, like Anne Hathaway goes all out. Like, she's absolutely giving it her all. Mm. Like, she's trying her best to be kooky and terrifying and weird and she you know for the most part she's doing it really well yeah octavia spencer i think is really good um with what she's given um stanley tucci's having a lot of fun the problem with the film is though i don't think it ever hits the heights and this might be you know looking back and first into glasses on that original being hitting those heights of the that the original had of i don't think it's very scary okay um I do wonder if a child, like a child, might see this and be scared because mm. you know some of the way that the witches look, they are designed to look scary, especially and halfway she has this like snake-like mouth, for yeah. example, that can un- unhinge, um, and it does look, it looks scary, but it also looks fake, mm. and I think that's the difference. Like trying to put this into a modern day kind of using modern day kind of computing and stuff like that to make the witches look scary. You've actually made them look kind of cartoonish and a little bit fake. Okay. Um and while I think everyone is having fun and trying and trying their best, I do think the story is fairly flat. Mm. Um and I don't know whether that falls down on the original story. Like, I quite liked Roald Dahl's books when I was younger. I've not been back and read them in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I used to read them all. Um, and I just feel this... I don't know, it just seems very dry as a film. Okay. Like, there's one or two moments where I'm like, oh, that's inventive, that's pretty good looking, like they've done something really nice there. But a lot of it was just a little bit tame, a little bit dry. And by the end of it, like it's not that long a film, really. It's like an hour and forty mm. um, total, 
And by the end of it, I was drifting off. Like right. I wasn't really grabbed and kind of taken on this adventure. And the end of it seems to be then all of a sudden seems quite sudden. Mm-hmm. Um, like it just seems everything just seems to happen, and the kind of there's no kind of jeopardy or no kind of thrill in mm. it, and it it's it's very much just a thing. And yeah, it, it's very middle ground, very middle ground as a film of just being like, I'm sure there will be children who you could show this to more. This will be their version. Mm. But as a film in general, it it's put together, you know, competently. Yeah. Everyone's doing their best, like, with what they've got. And I don't think what they've got is terrible. But even with all of that, you're still coming out with something that is very ropey and mm. middle ground. And I don't know how exactly they've done it. <laughs> yeah. To make something that, you know, is quite a fantastical story. I think the more interesting stuff is maybe at the beginning mm-hmm. where they talk about, you know, why this child is now living with his grandma and kind of like, and there's the first interaction with a witch and kind of how Octavia Spencer knows about witches um, and that kind of backstory. I mm-hmm. think that's the more interesting stuff. And because it's quite front loaded of being interesting, and yeah. then as it goes on, it gets more and more tame, even as he is a mouse, it's still tame and still, you know, dry. I think that's, in a way, quite impressive. Yeah. To have done that. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely that'll do, Pig. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's the worst adaptation you could have done. Mm. But I also... But it's the worst of the two that have done so I far. I think it's unnecessary. Yeah. Um, but, they, you know, these kind of things always come around, don't they? Mm-hmm. Um Okay. So that'll do pig for that as well. Wow, three in a row. Yeah. Well, recommend on Adam's Family and Mandalorian, guys. Mm, okay. Like, it's important to it's important to point that out. Uh so finally this week, uh, his house, which is uh, new on Netflix. Um so this is the directorial debut of Remy Weeks, uh, or certainly the feature directorial debut of Remy Weeks. Uh, written and directed by him, uh, along with a story co-written by Felicity Evans. Um, so, uh, a refugee couple from South Sudan are um, taken into the UK and given a home to live in, uh, whilst they still wait on being able to be classed as citizens. And you know, they're, they're still their case is still pending, so they need to try and acclimatise to British society and adapt to it. To prove that they are, and quoting one of the characters in the film, uh, one of the good ones, which gives you an idea of exactly how the system is set up in this film. Um, so the actual uh, the the idea of the immigration system being set up as essentially one of the villains of this horror story is a kind of interesting way of doing it, and mm-hmm. you know certainly they are treated appallingly by people during the course of this film and yet they're struggling with their own inner demons and they're struggling with their own pasts um they quickly realize that this house that they have been given isn't just the two of them living there there is something else with them an unseen or un well mostly unseen presence that comes out during the course of the events of the film Uh, i think this is 
really stunning. I think it's a really great debut. I think it's a it's a film that has you know has a lot to say obviously about the experience of outsiders whether that's you know for refugee status or whether that's uh, any other outsider status that you may have but certainly about the sort of um the way that we can carry our ghosts with us Mm. and the way that we can sort of um we can yeah the, the way that we can become encumbered with the issues of our past and allow those to then dictate how we proceed going forward um i think it's got a couple of really stunning performances in here i think the the mood of it really works and there's some suitably jumpy moments um as well as i think a couple of moments that sort of evoke other films not in a bad way where i was kind of going oh i don't know if you evoke that but certainly it has something of the so the um there is a creature within this that's played by Javier Botet who mm-hmm. uh is sort of the new go-to creature guy after Doug Jones I suppose yeah. um so in scary stories it was the missing toe um thing mm-hmm. and then was also the um in it the leper in it yeah so you know this sort of gangly creature um and there's some of this design of it where you go, oh, that is reminiscent of some of those kind of designs that I, I know from these other films. Um, but I think more than anything, I think the the fact that the performances are as good as they are and that there is some imagery in here that I think will stay with you potentially. Mm-hmm. I, I think it speaks volumes for it. I think Remy Weeks is, you know, he's got every reason to be very proud uh, at this point because it's a... It's a really stunning film, I think. It's probably, you know, is it for everyone? Probably not. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you could watch this and really, I don't know. No, I think, I don't know. It's it's interesting because I watched it with my brother and my brother was blown away by it and I think it's in his sort of top three or four of the year. Mm-hmm. It's not quite there for me, but I am, you know, it's still certainly in the upper echelons of where I've where I've ranked it. Um, but it has, I, I think it's got a way of getting under your skin, which is yeah. quite good. Um, it's on Netflix. It's available, I believe, internationally on Netflix. Um it's a because it's a BBC Films thing, but it's been released through Netflix instead. I, you know, I I think in terms of horror debuts, we've had a few good ones this year. So Relic, obviously, which I was really impressed with, uh, Saint Maud as well, and now this. It's been a pretty good sort of four weeks or so mm-hmm. for these debut uh, debuts by screenwriters and directors. I, yeah, I, I I would recommend most people go. Well, you know, if if you're a horror fan, you'll probably get something out of it. But there's also this human story underneath that I think is really interesting and revealed in a very good way. You know, it doesn't feel like it's too shoehorned. Yeah. Which I think it could potentially be. There's also a mention of Peter Crouch, which I think you'll like. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Uh, Yeah, would recommend. Um, So, yeah, available on Netflix everywhere. I will try and catch it. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll sit you down and watch it with you. If if I feel like I need to, well, it's, I, it's the, there's one sequence that I'm thinking you might be like, oh, this is a bit too jumpy for me. But they're on a ghost train. Yeah, they they, they go to a theme park and they go to a ghost train. 
Don't like ghost trains. Saw a ghost train in Brighton. Yeah, did you go on it? Well, like a ghost, I guess ghost train, yeah, because it's a ghost house. No. Mm. Why not? Well, it was open, I think, but I didn't... Okay, so the thing is, the problem with, like, pier, the end of the pier amusement park is Mm -hmm. in November, no one's really there. So it's not like you've got a crowd of people waiting to go on. What is spookier than a deserted ghost train? Well, I suppose not much. Exactly. Or a busy ghost train, maybe, if you hate crowds. (laughs) You missed your moment for a real spook. I did. I missed my moment for a real spook. Um, Could have given you the willies. Much like George Harrison, it could have given me the willies. Uh, have you got anything else you want to speak about? Uh, no, I think I, that's all. That's all I saw. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's been a long one, hasn't it? Probably. I don't know. I just feel tired all of a sudden. Um, yeah. Okay, so that's it. So as always, guys, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter. On Twitter, we're at Dinosaur Man Fifteen. Instagram. Dinosaur Man 15. I rejuvenated it. Is that it? what it is? Probably. Um, and you can also find us anywhere you get your podcasts. On YouTube now. Li- uh, yes, YouTube. Uh, at. It's just Dinosaur Man, I believe. Okay. Dinosaur Man podcast, maybe. If you say so. Search that, you'll probably find it. Yeah, you're, you're the winner. I, I'll be honest, guys. At the moment, it's just the episodes. So mm-hmm. if you've already listened to this episode. Yeah, so if you're looking you for viral video content, you're going to have to wait until next week. Oh, now we've got to make a viral video in uh, a week. You're doing the... Da, da, da. Guys, what you didn't see is that he just absolutely nailed the look of a dramatic chipmunk. Is that going to go viral in 2020, though? <laughs> Realistically speaking. The video is called... Would that have gone viral at the time that dramatic chipmunk went viral? Well, the video is called Man Fails to Go Viral. Da, da, and you go viral. Um, yeah, maybe if you set yourself up to fail, people will respond better to it because they're like, oh, I want to prove this guy wrong. <laughs> He is a viral smash. Johnny Neves did the theme song, as always. Andy, you've been the host. Alex, you've also been the host. Thank you for joining us, everyone. And until next time, if you know which beetle you want to lose your virginity to, I don't like everything this, no. you can to do it. I, Hunt them down and say, I mean, you've got a choice of two. Mr. Beetle, take me. Oh, hang on. Are we talking about actual beetles or the band The Beatles? Like, am I asking a dung beetle to hump me? (laughs) That's how to play with your balls. (laughs) Oh, because he rolls the... Yeah, okay. No, I don't like this. This is not a new thing that we can have continuing. (laughs) Next episode, we're going to have forgotten about the beetle thing, because this is gross. This this is the line for me. I'm coming for you, Paul. (laughs) Oh, God. That's a threat. It's a double entendre. (laughs) Oh, okay. So that makes it all fine then, I guess. Uh, Yeah, see you next week, guys. We'll never mention this bit again. (laughs) We can't make that the new (laughs) sign-off.